Our scripture reading this morning is Lamentations 5, uh, verses 15 through 22. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord for us. Emmett Smith played 15 years as a running back in the NFL. At the end of his career, he had totaled 18,355 yards. He rushed for 18,000 plus yards. I did some conversions on that. How far did Emmett Smith actually run, rush for during his career? That's 10 and a half miles. That he rushed for in his NFL career. What, what makes that figure even more spectacular is when you look at how often over the course of his career, of course, his average for being tackled was a 4.2 yard gain. That's 151 inches. So, so here's this guy who for 15 years is trying to gain yard after yard after yard after yard. Goes ten and a half miles over the, over the course of all of it. And he's knocked down after every 151 inches. Of course, these are averages. He was knocked down time and time and time and time again. The reason I mention that is because we see that happening in the life of the young prophet Jeremiah. This is a young man who is just knocked down time and time and time again. And yet... He continued to faithfully proclaim the message that God had given him. And of course, the people didn't obey. They didn't respond well to his message. In fact, they oppressed him and persecuted him. But what did he do? Did he stay down? Did, did Emmett Smith just stay down on the field and say, man, that was, that, that's it. That was the last time. No. He got back up. He joined the huddle. And he kept going. So here's where we find ourselves in the story of Jeremiah. The enemy has approached. That is, Babylon and its army are encircling the city of Jerusalem. The the downfall of the people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem is imminent. It's it's near. You would think that just, just perhaps then the people of Judah would say, Jeremiah was right. You you just think that that maybe perhaps as they see the enemy literally knocking down those city gates, they would say, oh, Jeremiah, you've called us to return to the Lord. Now is the time. No, they don't. With the enemy encroaching and encircling them, they keep taking shots at Jeremiah. So we're going to cover several chapters in the book of Jeremiah today. But they, they keep taking shots at him. They keep knocking him down. They beat him. They leave him for dead. And what does Jeremiah do? He keeps getting back up. He persevered in obedience. And that's just what we're going to talk about today. 
So my name is John, and I'm thrilled that you are with us today. Those who have gathered in this place, those who are tuning in from afar, I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So we are doing a Bible study together this morning, and I hope you brought your Bible with you. Turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 37. You might want to sit up straight in your seat if you're a note taker. Like James Miller over there, he's got his pen and paper ready. We're concluding today this study. I was talking with Les Miller earlier just about, man, I I was tempted to say there are a lot more messages from these books that we could keep going. I'm tempted to do that. But I think we'll conclude our our series today in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. Uh, In fact, it might be helpful for us to just recap uh, just four, four weeks that we've Uh, preached messages from these books and what have we learned. Um, So when this young man, Jeremiah, was called to this difficult task, a prophetic task, um, we learned that we should make no excuses. You might remember that from Jeremiah chapter 1. We saw that the sin of his people and their desperate state broke his heart. And that we too should let our hearts be broken with the needs that are around us. We heard the proclamation that God is full of compassion. And since God is full of compassion, that we should return to him, that that we should trust him, that we should dare to hope even in an unstable world. And then last week, we saw this confrontation with this priest, this uh, official in the temple named Pasher, and uh, that we should rise above discouragement. So if you were with us last Sunday, you heard this challenge. We should be honest with God. We should be watchful for where God is at work. We should be worshipful and grateful response, and that we should be obedient. And I I briefly mentioned that this morning, that's the whole sermon. And so in, in a way, we're kind of picking up right where we left off last week, that we should be obedient. It deserves a full sermon, and that's where we're going to be this morning in obedience. And so what I'll try to do this morning is close out the rest of the story. I know uh, people in our congregation have been wondering, how does this all end? What, what happens with the people? What happens with this young man? So let's, that's what we're going to discover through our time together today. Okay, so you've got your Bible open to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 37. Uh, by the way, Jeremiah has outlived not one but two kings of Judah, and he's now on the third king of Judah, who was a guy named Zedekiah. We'll learn a lot about him today. King Zedekiah, who was chosen by Nebuchadnezzar, who is actually the king of Babylon, the the leader of Babylon. And so again, uh, the Babylonian army is getting closer and closer and closer. They're surrounding the people of Judah. The takeover is going to happen soon. They're poised. They're ready to invade Jeremiah chapter 37, starting in verse 1. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He reigned in place of Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. Neither he nor his attendants nor the people of the land paid any attention to the words the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Oh boy. (laughs) So right here at the onset we know that here's a guy who has no regard for what God has been trying to teach his people. But you know what they say. 
there's no, there are no atheists in foxholes. And so Zedekiah, who, who's just in dire straits with the enemy about to pounce on him, is desperate. So let's keep going there, verse 3. King Zedekiah, however, sent Jehuchal, son of Shelemiah, with the priest Zephaniah, son of Maseah, to Jeremiah the prophet with this message. Please pray to the Lord our God for us. This is, this is Zedekiah in the foxhole, back against the wall. Desperate. What else can he do? Please pray. Ask God to save us. Verse 4. Now Jeremiah was free to come and go among the people he had not yet put in prison, been put in prison. Okay, it's a little ominous. Now it's like, oh, shoot, now we know he's going to be imprisoned. We'll get to that later. All right, now look at verse 5. We're in Jeremiah chapter 37. Pharaoh's army had marched out of Egypt. And when the Babylonians were besieging Jerusalem, when the Babylonians who were besieging Jerusalem heard the report about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. So l- let me explain that because you're like, where did Pharaoh come into the picture? Isn't he from Exodus? Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army have surrounded Jerusalem. They're about to invade and they hear, oh, the Egyptians are coming. The, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, who's the leader of the Egyptians and his army, they're heading this way. So they retreat. The Babylonians take off. But see, this doesn't surprise Zedekiah. In fact, Zedekiah was expecting this. This is why Zedekiah has been paying tribute to Egypt. See, Egypt, along with Assyria, would have been uh, military powerhouses, and Zedekiah, and, and the former kings as well, have chosen to align themselves with Egypt. So this is why Zedekiah is thinking, we've been participating in their detestable pagan worship practices. This is why we've been paying them, because Egypt told me, Hey, if you're ever in trouble, you let us know. We got your back. Egypt told the people of Judah, we will be there to help you. We are, we are an ally to you. You need someone to fight, we're going to be there right beside you. We'll run off any riffraff trying to harm you. We will be there. Sound the alarm. We're going to come. We're going to rescue you. So you wonder if Zedekiah was probably like, hey, you know that, uh, that prayer that I requested? Yeah, you can cancel that because Egypt is here. We don't need God because my strategic alliance with the Egyptians is going to come through, is going to save us. Now, I don't know all of what God is going to speak to you today through these stories, because part of what my task is to to share the stories. So I I do pray, friends, that this morning, that's part of the reason I said sit up straight. If you're a note taker, have your Bible with you, because I don't know what all God is going to speak to you today. These are just chocked full of biblical truths and things that speak to your heart. But choose wisely who you align yourself with. Choose wisely your friends, your business associates, your spouse. Choose wisely. Okay, we're in Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 6. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of me. In other words, remember, he said, pray. So here's what you're to tell him. Pharaoh's army, which has marched out to support you, will go back to its own land, to Egypt. And then the Babylonians will return and attack this city. They will capture it and burn it down. Betrayed. 
by your supposed allies. You've turned your back on God, and now he's going to use the dreaded Babylonian army to teach you a lesson. God is going to tear you down. Why? So that he can build you back up. So we are going to study a little bit in Lamentations chapter 5 as well. So I would encourage you to keep your finger in the, uh, the Jeremiah 37, 38 place, but also turn with me to Lamentations chapter 5. This is the last and final of these beautiful acrostic Hebrew dirge poetry laments that Jeremiah has written. But let's take note in ver- starting in verse 6 of Lamentations chapter 5. That he says, we submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more. And we bear their punishment. And as we consider this whole story, just taking one step back, this whole story of why would God send the enemy to invade his people? Sometimes. What looks like destruction is only God's way of healing. Sometimes what looks like destruction is in reality only making a way for healing. See, the Lord wanted his people to return to him. And so, yes, he orchestrated this invasion. He was stripping them of everything. So when you wonder why God is allowing suffering in your own life, try asking God what he wants to teach you through that. All right. I I do want to take us back to, if we look back at Jeremiah chapter 30, this is a section we really kind of skipped over. We we weren't able to give full treatment to all of these passages, but here's what the Lord says there in in chapter 30, verse 12. He says, your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. And if you were here through this study, you remember Jeremiah chapter 8. Is there no balm in Gilead? Where have we turned for our help to the Egyptians, to our own devices? There is no healing. There is no cure, the Lord says. But then in that same passage, Jeremiah chapter 30, down in verse 17, but I will restore you to health, the Lord says. And heal your wounds, declares the Lord. What a beautiful thing. This just reminds us of Job, where he says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I would rather be in the hands of God than entrusted to anyone else. So the people of Judah are about to endure devastation. Like they're going to see the destruction of their culture their temple to God that was supposed to be a holy place of worship. They're going to see their homes and their land and their jobs, like all of those things that had become more important than God, stripped away. So what happened? I'm going to have to do some paraphrasing to get us through the rest of this story, I think. What, what, what happens to Zedekiah? The king of Judah with the, with the Babylonians surrounding and the, the Egyptians sort of stunt on them. Like, oh, we're going to come and help. Nope, but we're retreating. What happens to Jeremiah who has persevered in obedience? 
Okay, Babylon has besieged Jerusalem. Now, if you're not familiar with that term or that word, this is a military tactic to, to besiege, to lay siege to a city. What it means is you, you encircle the city. This is, this is to weaken the people inside the city. You want to attack them, but you want to sort of minimize your own losses. If you go in now, there are going to be a lot of casualties. And so you cut off all of their supplies, so no supplies are going in or out of the city. You cut off as much as you can resource-wise. You might stop up the, the water resources, and what you do is you weaken them. Potentially over the course of several years, which is actually what happened. If we, if we look at the timeline here, it actually ha- happens over the course of several years that Babylon besieges Jerusalem. Now, according to chapter 32 of the book of Jeremiah, and I mentioned this in one of the earlier sermons, but Jeremiah decides, even amidst this impending doom and devastation, to buy a plot of land. Like, he is so confident that God is going to rebuild and restore. He's like, oh, that's a beautiful piece of land that's for sale. I'll buy it. And so, here we are in chapter 37. When Babylon has surrounded, they hear that Egypt is coming, and Babylon retreats. There is this, this brief window that is a respite for the city of Jerusalem. And so... Jeremiah and some other people there decide now's a great opportunity. We can actually get outside of the city to take care of some of these sort of business transactions. In other, in other words, he's investing in real estate. He probably has to sign some contracts, survey the land. I don't know what all, but he wants to get outside the city to work on that. So we're back in Jeremiah chapter 37. Let's pick it back up at verse 11. It says, after the Babylonian army had withdrawn from Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's army. So again, we understand what's happened there. Jeremiah started to leave the city to go to the territory of Benjamin to get his share of the property among the people there. But when he reached the Benjamin gate, the captain of the guard, whose name was Arijah, son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, arrested him and said, you're deserting to the Babylonians. So Jeremiah was not able to get out of the city to do the business he wanted. He is now being accused of being a traitor. And you go, man, if anyone was loyal, it's Jeremiah. Are you blind? Like, he's the only one who has stood strong, who has stood on the truth. Like, he longed for the, the welfare and the prosperity and the flourishing of his country and his people. And now they accuse him of being a traitor. Oh, you're defecting to the Babylonians. So here's what happens with the rest of chapter 37. They arrest Jeremiah. They, they take him into captivity. In fact, they beat him. And they put him into uh, what the NIV words, I'm not sure what translation you have, but as a dungeon. They throw him into a dungeon, and he's in there a long time. So he, he has done what is right. He has proclaimed the truth. He's so confident that God is going to restore and rebuild. He just wants to to survey his land and sign the contracts, they won't even let him outside of the city to do that. Instead, he finds himself in a dark, gloomy dungeon. So after a long time in the dungeon, King Zedekiah calls for him. See, he hasn't forgotten Jeremiah. He knows there's something odd about this guy. So he calls for him. He he wants to know, does God have a word for us? Zedekiah, who doesn't care about God, who doesn't want to honor God, again, He's 
He's in dire straits. And so he has Jeremiah pulled out of the dungeon. Here's Jeremiah. At this point, then, he is like gaunt and sickly. He's weak. He's malnourished. Like he's, he's on the verge of death. We're in Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 17. It says, King Zedekiah sent for him and had him brought to the palace where he asked him privately, is there any word from the Lord? Yes, Jeremiah replied. You kind of get the impression there. He didn't miss a beat. He didn't say, yeah, could I have some of the mutton from your table? Yeah, could I have some of the wine and cheese? Yes, Jeremiah replied, you'll be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. When I say this man persevered in obedience, I mean, this man did not quit. This man continued to do exactly what God had called him to. It would have been so easy for him to say, just leave me in the dungeon. Zedekiah doesn't care about what I have to say. How many times do I have to tell him? It would have been so easy for him to say, once he's out of the dungeon, what is it that you want to hear, O king? And I'll tell you that. But no, he speaks the truth. He was so sick, he was so, so weak on the verge of death that if he were to go back to the dungeon, he would surely die. And so King Zedekiah says that he's going to be placed in the courtyard. So this is, he's still confined, he's still a prisoner, but it's a place where Jeremiah can now get sunshine. It's, it says every day he's given bread so he can regain his strength. He, he gets healthier, he gets stronger, and the minute he does, he continues preaching, and the people don't like what he's saying. And so this man, again, persevering in obedience, a group of people don't like the message that he's preaching, they grab him and they throw him down a cistern. Cistern is like a, a well. This one had like dried up. It wasn't in use. What we have at the bottom is mud and sludge. And it says he sank down into the mud. But like just when he was brought into the sunshine, just when things are starting to look up, he gets knocked down again. Have you been there? I don't know if I can handle another setback. I don't know if I can handle another tragedy. I don't know if I can handle another crisis. Persevere. God will see you through. So here's Jeremiah. He's at the bottom of the cistern, stuck in the mud, a prisoner. His woes just sort of continue. And, and you realize, see, the, the people, they wanted sermons about a God of mercy not a God of justice. They wanted a God who would just sort of wink at their sin and not punish them for their sin. Jeremiah spoke the truth. The truth can be very hard to deliver. The truth can be very hard to receive. And so he is now, uh, it, this is like a most certain death situation. Josephus, who, who is a church historian, writes a description of this where he says, Jeremiah sank all the way down to his neck. So he's essentially immobile, cannot move, can't, certainly couldn't feed himself. We're, we don't know if they were even throwing food down there. Of course, it would have been covered in putrid, disgusting, slimy filth, even if they had. So this is a death sentence for Jeremiah. And I just have to say, when I study the life of Jeremiah, when I see him here, in the pit, knocked down time and time again, a man who was innocent and yet who suffered greatly 
I see Jesus. I I see a, a foreshadowing of the one who would come after him, who was also an innocent sufferer. But, you know, we just talked about this last week, how, how it's so hard to be, it's so easy to be discouraged when you do the right thing, but it doesn't turn out successfully. That, that's what Jeremiah faced time and time and time again. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. The suffering of Jesus, even though he was perfect, he was spotless, and his suffering brought redemption. It, it was through his suffering, when, when Jesus took upon himself All of our sins, all of the things that we had done wrong, past, present, and future. That we were the guilty ones, but he received the punishment. And and Jesus did that to make a way back to the Heavenly Father. See, we we were in a predicament, all all of humanity in a predicament where we can't make a way back to God. We've, We've sinned. He's a perfect God. And we are a sinful people. But here came Jesus, and he was the perfect sacrifice. He was that spotless lamb, no defect. And Jesus went willingly. He went into our place. His blood that was shed was shed on our behalf. He endured the agony of crucifixion. So when I see Jeremiah stuck in the mud, He didn't do anything wrong. I think of Jesus, brutalized and bloody and hanging on the cross. And if you've read the account of that, you know that he cried out in a very loud voice, Luke tells us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was our Lord. Suffering. Feeling abandoned and alone, forsaken. So why did Jesus do that? What was driving him? It was obedience to the Father. That's what Jeremiah did. That's the challenge for me today and for you. Will we persevere in obedience? Or will we stay down? Or will we make compromises? So Jesus, even in the face of unimaginable suffering, he endured. He obeyed the will of the Father. When you walk through those difficulties, those trials, when you endure suffering, when you feel like God couldn't possibly understand, (laughs) he understands. His son walked through that. He knows what it is. Jesus knows what it is to feel abandoned and forsaken and alone. He knows what it is to feel rejected and humiliated. He knows that feeling of despair. And he calls each and every one of us to come to him in faith. To lay down our own burdens and our own shame. And here's what the scriptures say. So that he can clothe us in robes of righteousness. And I want to make this really clear this morning. Most of us grew up in church. Most of us grew up understanding something about salvation. And you pray the sinner's prayer and... And then you live a good life for God. As I'm talking about persevering in obedience today, listen, you don't obey in order to earn your salvation. Some of you, ha- some of you have that. Some of you carry that sort of baggage where you're like, well, I have to obey because I want to be saved. No, 
Your obedience, friend, does not earn you your salvation. Does that mean you shouldn't obey? Well, no, of course not. It's just that we obey God in grateful response to our salvation. There's a huge difference there. We obey God in grateful response to his free gift of eternal life. So stop trying to impress God. Stop trying to impress others with how good you are. Like you follow the rules. You color within the lines. So what? Instead, here's what I would encourage you to do. Throw yourself at God's mercy. Like, like live in radical devotion, persevering in obedience. Why? Because he has spared you the punishment that you deserve, which is eternal separation from God in hell. That's why we obey. You know, one time Jesus was having dinner with the Pharisees at, at this guy's house. And this woman comes in. You've heard this story. He's having dinner with the Pharisees and a woman comes in and she anoints Jesus. She she brings in this expensive oil. She, she weeps. She kisses his feet. She uses her hair to, to wash and dry off his feet. And here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 7. He says, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who's forgiven little loves little. See, it's when you realize what you've been saved from. It's when you realize that Jesus took the punishment that you deserve. It's when you see the heart of God, that he is indeed kind and compassionate, loving and forgiving. It's like, how could you determine to do anything but live in humble obedience to him? How could, how could you determine anything else when you understand what he's done? It's like the disciples say in John chapter 6, Lord, where else would we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. And maybe you're here today and you want to do that for the first time, for the hundredth time. You want to turn your life over to Jesus. You want to respond to him with gratitude. Let's meet up after the service. I would be honored to pray with you, to go with you before God's throne of grace, to say, yes, Lord, I receive your free gift of salvation. Well, let's close this out this morning. Again, we've been pretty, we're, we're pretty ambitious with the, the book of Jeremiah. And we've been looking at this story. I, I, I want to issue some action steps for us. So in other words, what do we do with this story? I don't, I, I don't want you to leave today with, I heard a story about a guy thrown down a well. How might we persevere in obedience like Jeremiah? Well, let's begin with asking the Lord to help you to stand by your convictions. Standing by your convictions. So you see, throughout this whole ordeal, this is what Jeremiah has done. It's like, I'm not going to change the message. I'm not going to cater to the desires of the most powerful person in our nation. You think about the pressure there. No. I'm going to stand by my convictions. And I haven't given many timelines. Some of them we're, we have to make educated guesses on. But our best scholarship tells us that Jeremiah was in this period of time giving these messages for 40 years. 40 years. He persevered. 
Martin Luther King Jr. often told his own children, if a man has nothing that's worth dying for, he's not fit to live. That's the kind of conviction that refuses to make spiritual compromises. In other words, I know what's true and I know what's right. And so I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my neighbors do. I'm going to stand by the convictions that I see in the scripture and have been convicted by in my own heart by the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to stand by those convictions. Jeremiah could have so easily softened his message. He could have just said, okay, fine. Yeah, we're going to have peace and prosperity. Oh, by the way, there were plenty of false prophets during Jeremiah's time that were doing that. There were plenty of false prophets who were sharing these messages of everything's going to be fine. Just keep participating in the Egyptian worship and paying tribute to the Assyrian gods. They'll help protect us. Jeremiah stands by his conviction, preaches the truth. And we saw he's he's put in stocks. He's beaten. He's thrown into a dungeon. He's thrown into a well. There are Christians around the world today who are in prison because of their faith. Because they're not going to recant. Because they're not going to reject Christ. So we stand by our convictions. Secondly, don't lose hope. No matter what your circumstances are. Even in the dungeon. Even sinking in the mud at the bottom of the cistern. Even with the enemy who was pounding down the gate. So after Babylon waited for multiple years... The people in Jerusalem grew weak. They didn't have food. Then Babylon attacks. And so their point of entry was the city gates. And so you imagine they used some sort of battering rams or devices, and it just started with this thud. Uh Uh-oh. And another thud. And another thud. Until they literally broke down the gates to the city. That's how they entered. So even when the enemy is pounding at the gates, do not be afraid to step into the places that God has called you. Don't lose hope. God knows what he's doing. And and in the life of Jeremiah, the Lord rescued him time and time and time again. He rescued him from the stock. There were times where the people tried to kill him. They wanted to kill him. The Lord rescued him from that. He rescued him from the dungeon. He rescued him from the cistern. This was not the end of Jeremiah's story. And so chapter 39 of the book of Jeremiah tells us and describes really in great detail when the Babylonians broke into the city. I'm not going to read it for us. It's really graphic. We have some young ears that are with us. It's really graphic. It describes war. It describes what happens when the enemy invades with the goal of conquering. But the people of God, suffice it to say, the people of Judah were devastated. And you think of Jeremiah, after 40 years of prophesying, the Babylonians are going to invade. It happens. It comes true. And so the people of God then, the people of Judah, were, they were taken into exile like they were slaves. They were captives. The ones that weren't killed were taken back to Babylon. And they would be there for 70 years. Because of their sin. And again, I don't know what God's going to speak to you today through these stories. But the Lord wants to set us free from the things that keep us from him. And the Lord will strip away 
anything that has become more important than him. The Lord will take those things away. He will tear it down. Why? So that he can rebuild. So what happened to Jeremiah? It's a happy ending. Jeremiah went home. Jeremiah got to go home. If you want to look there, you can turn to chapter 39, verse 13. 13 and 14. The commander of the guard, it says, had Jeremiah taken out of the courtyard of the guard. They turned him over to Gedaliah, and then it says, to take him back to his home. If you have time, you can read through chapter 40 sometime. It actually gives more detail to this this story where Jeremiah is with a group of other Jewish people and he's, he's in chains and they're going to be shipped off to Babylon. But the commander goes and finds Jeremiah. He says, no, 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 you're not. You're not with the rest of these people. And it says he, he unshackles him and he says, well, you can come with us to Babylon if you want. In fact, if you do, you'll be treated well. Or you could stay in Judah or, you know what? You can go wherever you want. <laughs> Jeremiah goes free. He says, I'm not going to Babylon. I'm going home. After 40 years of persevering in obedience, after however many decades, God calls you to serve him and to persevere and to keep going, even despite suffering, he will lead you home. So Jeremiah watches as his countrymen go into exile. And you think at that point, he had done his, his job. He continued to pray. In fact, I kind of think that's why we have the book of Lamentations. I kind of think that, that Jeremiah who says, man, I've done everything I can. I've poured myself out. Nobody listened. I was totally rejected. And, and now all, all I can do is pray. And that's what I'm going to do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write these poems and these prayers. I think that's why we have the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations ends, as you read through chapter 5, with this prayer for God to restore. Christy read part of that for us this morning. Like in verse 21... Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Again, the backdrop is he's watching his friends and his fellow countrymen being led away in chains to Babylon. And he prays, restore us, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. He thinks of those times where they were engaging in the right worship of the one true God, not the detestable pagan practices. Have you been knocked down? Are you discouraged because your impact is is not what you had dreamed it would be or, or the unexpected has happened and you feel like you're in the dungeon? Whatever the cause of your sorrow, you can find hope. That's the paradox of these stories is sorrow and hope. You don't gloss over the the hurt and the struggle. You don't just pretend you don't just slap on the silly smile and pretend everything's all right. But there is hope. 
Why do we have hope? Because we know that God will not abandon us. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 1. I think it's verse 17 where the Lord says that. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to rescue you. We have hope because he will not abandon us. Sometimes it looks like destruction is going to be the end, but oh no, it's not the end. Sometimes destruction is only making a way for healing. So persevere. Persevere in obedience. Ask the Lord to help you live out those convictions. To walk in obedience to him and to never, ever, ever lose hope. Let's close with Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 that says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it's from the pit of the dungeon. It's from the desperation of the the muck and mire that bogs us down that we cry to you. And Lord, no more pretending. Today we, we, we freely recognize that we've done wrong. Now there are many times where that muck and mire, that heaviness and that burden, it's our own fault, God. It's because we went astray. It's because we got lured in by the temptations of the world. And so, Lord, today we would be so bold and brave as to just pray, Lord, take away those things that are keeping us from you. Lord, do the work that you do, which is, which is tearing down so that you can rebuild. Lord, I also recognize there are times where we've not done wrong, where we're innocent. And yet we're still suffering. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us to continue persevering, pressing on, doing what's right, knowing, God, that like Jeremiah, one day we'll be set free and we'll go home. We will go home to eternal paradise in your presence. We will go home to being with you in a very real way. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories, the true stories and the example of the prophet Jeremiah. Thank you for the authenticity that we see in this book of Lamentations and the suffering that was expressed. Lord, may those be our own prayers as we walk through times of suffering. And that in all of it, God, you would be glorified. So Lord, have your way. You, oh God, know what's best. And we trust you. We ask these things only in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.